I'm Mary Salmonen. And I'm Henry Ace. And this is Rerouting. A podcast in which two friends talk about making things. And many other things. <laughs> I, sh- I didn't even actually want to do that. I just sort of wanted to start and then... Um, and just see where it takes us from I'll there. See where it takes us from there. Perfect. So do we want to, do we actually want to have a bit of a discussion as to what we're going to... Yeah, we, we may as well get it on record while we're doing this. Yeah. If nothing else. Yeah. What is the podcast? Who are you? Who are you? And who's me? So this is Rerouted. This is our first initial inaugural podcast recording. And I'm Yari Salmanen, and I am a maker. You are a maker. I'm Henry Ace, and uh, I'm a maker as well. Now, we've decided on rerouting as a, as a concept. As a thematic sort of uh, statement. Mm-hmm. Our because leitmotif. It's a, it's a journey, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, making stuff. And you start with one idea, and then things go horrendously wrong. And then you find different pathways. Or horrendously to, right. Or, yes, hopefully. Hopefully. But, you know, failure is the best teacher. And uh, then, you have to, then you have to take a different path. And then hopefully you get somewhere close to where you were aiming. Mm-hmm. So how did you get here, Yari? Well, I've been building things since I was about, oh, since I had hands, basically. My parents put tools in them, or my grandparents put tools in them. And I was taught to make birdhouses and how to cut wood and my parents put me to work basically they were always building houses or renovating or adding on to houses or fixing things and doing whatever and uh, I would have to my parents always believed in the the idea that if you have children uh, make them work they're they're there to assist in, uh, in whatever endeavor you are undergoing. So this is deep rural Canada. This is, this is yeah, we uh, grew up on like farmland, g- right? I'm imagining yeah. giant axes and... and chainsaws. Chainsaws. And, yeah, oh yeah. Big maple trees everywhere, like forests. Uh, grew up, you know, in like uh, part, uh, part farmland, part like protected green forest area. Okay. So... Just like not a lot of people around, you know, where there's just one little street mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, maybe 10 houses on it and then just nothing for kilometers. And the houses tend to be wooden construction. Always. Yeah. So everything's wood over there. Um, it's all pine or SPF, spruce pine fir. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why do we build houses out of bricks here and not and you don't? Um, it's a good question. Um, Labor is cheaper here, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and putting up a wood house is, uh, fast. And as a result, because labor is more expensive, it costs less. Mm. You can, I've slapped up a house in a week, you know, framed. Right. Um, and it's, it's very economic. We also have a lot of wood, right? Like it's, it's our national industry. Right. So, you know, uh, my, my thought is that because we can put it up fast, there's a quick turnaround and you can make more money doing it. Whereas here, houses seem to take, uh, I hesitate to use the term interminable, but it is a lengthier process, right? And it's mm. dirtier. It's like, it's it's a real thing to it, right? Mm. Um, and I I mean, you're, you don't have like freezing weather over here. So um, I guess insulation isn't really like a real concern in many yeah. ways and that's better with a wooden house than it is with oh, a it's easier house. to insulate a wooden house right mm. we have like thermal bats inside the walls mm. right whereas the brick you just have like a little air gap in between mm. right and it's really just meant to keep the houses cool in the summer and in the winter you're just freezing your asses off mm. 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 so for me i've taken a you've got a that's very traditional rugged uh, craftsperson. If you look at me, I am a yes, traditionally yes. rugged yes, individual. Yes. Magnificent. When you were five years old, you had this magnificent beard and they gave you an axe and said, go to work. I had golden blonde hair and a tiny little face. Right. <laughs> so I had, I had, I was very different. Um, you know, I, I trained, uh, I didn't ha- grow up in a house where this was, you know, part of the, part of the language. The milieu. The milieu. Um, but, uh, you know, dad was pretty handy. Mm. Uh, grandfather was a woodworker, but I was never really part of that, uh, part of that, part of that thing. Is there that same sort of DIY like scene here in, I mean, yes. now there, it seems like it was, it is, but was there growing up? I think so. You know, something that is the sort of classic South African character trait is 
making a plan, you know, boom, mm. mark a plan. And so a lot of that... Um, <laughs> boom, mark a plan. Boer, boer, boer. Mark. Boer, mark. A plan. A plan. Yeah, boer, it. mark a plan. That's it. Exactly. And, um, you know, so there is a lot of kind of frontiersman um, uh, mentality in, a, in the sort of Afrikaner community and really in all of South Africa because there's a, it's an incredibly varied country and we have also and it's a and it's a tough country for a lot of people sure uh, for most people mm. and so yeah definitely and and so you'll find I think that's part of why you know the 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 labor situation is what it is here is because mm. a lot of people are able to work with their hands and do stuff but um, not me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, so as I, as I grew up, um, I started getting interested in, 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 in this idea and, and fairly late, very recently, it only became clear to me that there's a, a whole movement. There are all sorts of ways in which you can make stuff now, uh, tools and, and supply, you know, supplies that weren't available. And so the ideas mm. I had were based around electronics and, you know, things like that. And once I, once I latched on to a few of these things, I realized you can, you can make so many things now that you weren't able to do. And so the other part of it was a, a group of friends of mine who started a print farm. A print farm? Yes, 3D printing. Ah, yes. Uh, you know, cluster. And um, they started getting into that world and, and they sort of introduced me to a lot of these things. And I was gifted a 3D printer. And once I got that, I, I, you, know, you go onto Thingiverse and you go, my God. The world is now your oyster. The world is your oyster. Um, I'm going to make everything. Uh-huh. I'm everything. I'll Look at all the things I can make. I can make all the things I want. But and, the hmm. things you have, I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but the things you have done in the time in which you've had a printer are, I find, astounding it's 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 very intricate uh, stuff you've been doing yeah well the other the other half to that of that equation is uh realizing how accessible the information for learning design Mm. is now uh, YouTube University all the way I would sp- I've spent days and weeks just watching people you know design things from scratch half the reason I know how to do anything is simply just watching a video or or if I have to solve a problem, that's part of the research. Yeah, yeah, fantastic stuff. Like who these amazing nerds are who spend their days <laughs> learning, Thank teaching. God for them. Bless though. them. Man. Bless the nerds, and uh, and and the time they spend making videos, very informative, dry videos <laughs> on incredibly. The drier the video, the yes, better. Yes. But unfortunately, whoo, yeah, Germans are great. I've spent hours watching and this Germans. This is how we do this yes. little thing, and yes. it's very precise. It's so specific. <laughs> just the topic is so incredibly specific that it is only of interest to about <laughs> ten other people. But I'm going to make a little video about this anyway. Um, and so that's one thing is one thing has led to another has led to another. And um, starting with the 3D printer, I, I, I realized that the things I actually want to make. Um, go beyond that manufacturing um, mm. capability. And so from that, I've built a, a CNC, uh, which I'm, I'm terrified of. I've, I've, I feel like, I feel like uh, uh, Dr. Frankenstein. In <laughs> Can I also just say the amount of balls? Like I, I, I have a CNC at home and it is like a massive uh, five foot by 10 foot bed CNC. And I, mm. I find that thing frightening. But to like, Simply go uh, get to the point where you're like, nah, fuck it, I'm going to build it myself. Mm. Mm. That's the amount of chutzpah. No, it's very kind of you to say, but again, it's only very recently that these tools have become available to the Mm. public. And, you know, for me, my my CNC, now for people who don't know what a CNC is, a CNC is a computer-controlled robotic cutting machine. So, but that is not actually what CNC stands for. No. Do you know what CNC stands for? I used to, and I thought it involved computer, and it ha- yes. does not have the word computer in it. I it think it does. Does it? Yes. It's computer num- computed numerical control. That's what computer it is. numerical control. So anything that moves in three dimensional space um, can be a CNC. It's not necessarily something that cuts, hmm. uh, but traditionally, it's 
you've got a bed and you've got a you've got a piece of stock and you put a 3D model in there and then you have to go through the entire process of learning or teaching the machine really how to work its way through this piece of stock in order to make the thing that you want. It's incredibly noisy. It's incredibly dusty. It's it's violent. I set mine on fire. Um, <laughs> things explode, uh, but it is uh, it's wonderful. Um, and 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 the, the precision it allows you, like in going forward, like I have done many things without a CNC, like up to date, and having to you know create templates, create jigs, create. Um, uh, <laughs> Like a like an initial base template, and then having to redo that over and over again mm. is just. I hate to use the word interminable once again, but it is interminable, mm -hmm. right? And and the CNC allows both precision and uh, hands off time, where you can be doing other things mm -hmm. if you've learned to program it well enough, and you can yeah. walk away for an, yeah. an hour. <laughs> well, that's I I can't do that yet. It's I, I, it's like a it's like a newborn child. This thing it needs constant supervision and attention. Otherwise, you could, it could uh, and just as cantankerous. <laughs> yes, it could destroy your entire life. But in the in the broader sense, I think the reason why I came to all this stuff is because uh, my day job is making video. Uh, I run a I run a, a boutique video production company, and uh, the nature of that work can be it can be incredibly labor intensive. It can take an enormous amount of time, only to end up with something that's ephemeral and you can't touch it and that started to bug me <laughs> started to annoy me i'm like spent all where this time is my legacy where's my stuff <laughs> where are my things you know you make a commercial and then you send it out on youtube and then it's gone it's like uh, you i know. mean at least with with i mean um creating video is still creating something that has a, a presence or an existence somewhere mm. it's different i mean i'm not going to say it's as I don't want to put a value judgment, so I'm not going to say it's as good as, but um, working in an office where you're simply, you know, creating corporate structure or, you know, um, flow diagrams or like mm. uh, managing a project library. These are all things that I have done at one point in time. So I know mm. how like little reward there is um, mm. for, for both the, the process and, and, and for achieving, achieving your objective. Yeah, mm. I can't get no satisfaction. I thought um, it was satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction <laughs> guaranteed. What's who's that again? That sounds like a funk track of some sort. I thought it was Walmart. <laughs> I've never been to a Walmart. I've only been on the internet and I've seen you. some extraordinary things happen at a Walmart. I have been to Walmart and I have seen some of these extraordinary things. I have ooh, terrible things. What's your favorite Walmart person? <laughs> I mean, other than the general cross section of humanity, which is always spectacular, um, it tends to be the people who are unable to walk and they're on like the jazzy scooter. Yeah, the scooters. Yeah, yes. exactly. And they're 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 loading up their their basket in the scooter with like frozen pizzas and you know other uh, microwavable sort of meals, and it's. Mm. Uh, Great. Do they? Do they? Do you? Ha okay. So when you when you go to I don't Walmart, mean to look down on anyone. Let me just no, say no, no. But. That's fine. That's fine. But I'm curious now. I would. I want to know if you go to Walmart and on your jazzy scooter, um, how you know we've have trolleys here. You can't push a trolley on a scooter. No, do you, you have a not. Do you have a little trailer? The, some do actually. <laughs> they they really will have a trailer. Yeah. And the best part is like you will see them get out of the the scooter, pick things up and put it in the trailer and get back on, you know, okay, it's like, okay. it's not like these people cannot walk. It's simply the act of doing so would be onerous over right. time. I see. I see. Okay. So a little trailer, but I want a little trailer, <laughs> you know, people with filthy clothes, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Walmart is a uh, spectacular cross section of the American Midwest. <laughs> Satisfaction. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. That's great. But now I want to get back to this idea of, the uh, ephemeral and the intangible and the value of those things that we tend to put into uh, onto them now in mm. society, and you know, where does that leave us as, as in, people who make? What is what is the value of 
something that is ephemeral and temporal? Mm. No, what is the value? Because I want to make a business out of this. Mm. What is the value of something that is tangible? Now, in a world that is increasingly putting more and more value on things that don't exist. Mm. There was an incredible thing I came across this week which was Madonna's NFTs. Oh, my goodness. Did you see Madonna's I, NFTs? I have seen. It is equal parts horrific and admirable. Like, it wow. is... So this is uh, this is this this part of the podcast is not safe for work because we shall now discuss Madonna's NFTs. I have never seen a centipede come out of a vagina. I've never thought about a centipede no, coming robotic, out of a vagina. Robotic centipedes being birthed in full view out of Madonna's uh, pudenda. There was a series of three. That was the first one. The second one was her uh, again fully nude, mm -hmm. scanned and fully nude. Apparently, this is her scanned. Uh, I yes. did not realize. So they say. Hmm. <clears throat> this is Madonna's real pedenda we're looking mm -hmm. at here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's uh, yeah. The second one is her splayed on the on the hood of a burnt out truck in a post-apocalyptic wasteland and she gives birth to a school of monarch butterflies. Would we all be so lucky to see that scene in the apocalypse? Terrifying, terrifying. Uh, and the third one is her giving birth to an enormous tree, a huge, like, fantasy tree. <laughs> and these things, these things sold for, at last uh, count, uh, between 150 and 350,000 US dollars each. I mean, that's just her lending her name to the NFT, right? Yes, yes. That's not an actual, like, value of it as mm. a, not that there is, like, a set value of an NFT necessarily, other than what people are willing to pay for it, but her lending her name to it, stamping her Madonna seal of a, uh, and I hesitate to wonder what her stamp actually was, but. Mm. <laughs> well, this is the thing. It, it seems to me that this enormous race for NFT value is almost solely based on first sale. People who, um, they get the, if they have a name attached to something, Jack Dorsey sells the first tweet for $14 million and some donut buys it and tries to resell it and only gets 14,000 on auction. There's no value beyond that first sale. Uh -uh. Which brings us back to the tangible. And you make a thing and uh, hopefully, it you know, even if it even if it on a monetary scale doesn't have any value, it's still a thing you can use and look at. Well, I mean, as if you want to look at it as simply an artifact, the raw materials of, of a let's say uh, a, ch a chair or a table, right? Mm. Even if they're a very crappy chair or table, yes. they're still built of raw materials that are worth something that can either be reused or modified or changed or burnt, mm. right? It's still some value. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm. Whereas an NFT. It's not going to keep you warm at night. I mean, it might if you're watching the Madonna. NFT Madonna's one might. Madonna, Madonna might keep you. Might keep someone warm at night. Good <laughs> Those Lord. lonely nights at sea. Good. Yeah. Yes. You carve yourself a little, little <laughs> reclining nude Madonna out of a piece of elephant tusk. Yeah. This will keep me. What's it called? Scribbage, right? No. Um. Scrying. Scrimming. Scrimshaw. 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 Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. Scrimshaw. And Scrimshaw is out, out of bone, particularly. Mm, mm, mm. I saw I saw some Scrimshaw uh, last week. Uh, we went to the Iziko South African Museum. Oh. Uh, just as a, as a lark, because I haven't been there since I was a kid. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a classic museum. It's a bu bunch of stuff in boxes, really. Stuffed animals. In glass boxes. Incredible stuffed animals in glass boxes. There was one thing, though. Uh, that I, I did enjoy. Um, it's not a particularly interactive museum. So there's, they're looking at plaques and like yes, information. There aren't many buttons except for one, <laughs> which was a which was a doozy of a button. Now we're in the we're in the um, wildlife room, and it is a big room with st st stuffed with stuffed animals of every configuration. Ooh, ooh, is there an aardwolf? Uh, what? Have you never heard of an aardwolf? Art? No. What on earth is this? It is the only uh, wolf that eats ants. Oh. I know an aardvark eats ants. Aardwolf. Oh, okay. No. Maybe there is one. Maybe I missed it. There were a it's lot of like stuffed animals. The third in the animal encyclopedia. Mm. <laughs> it goes like aardvark something aardwolf. I see. 
I see. Well, this this particular room, probably the oldest room in the museum. All the there's no real. Uh, information is just stuffed animals from from floor to rafters, but and they have one small unlit box that has a giant white button on the side that just says press, and I press the button and inside with fl very flickery old fluorescent <laughs> ding 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 ding, zzz, there's a uh, quacha. Oh. You know what a quacha is? I do. Yes. Quacha is a pseudo zebra type a, creature yeah. that is extinct. There are only five remaining examples in the world. And this one is the only one in Africa. Hmm. But the button is a mechanical timed switch. So you press the button and then it goes tick, 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 tick. And the button goes back out again <laughs> through some mechanical timer thing. I'd never seen anything like a little like wristwatch on it or something. Yeah, something. Well, you just go tick, and then it goes, ping, and then like a like a you know, oh, like a rotary phone, like a rotary phone or something <laughs> like that. It's spring loaded, and it, yeah, is the best button I've seen uh, in a while. The Quaha exhibit at the Iziko South African Museum. How big was the Quaha exhibit? No, it was literally was one. It, life, it was life size, right? Like yeah, it's, no, it's an actual stuffed Quaha uh, that is. I don't know the size of a of a big dog, uh, like hmm. a like a like a Labrador or something. Not very big at all. <clears throat> not a not a wildly impressive animal, but a very extinct one. And so that is where that's where the value of that particular exhibit comes in, I suppose. <laughs> but um, the button, the button. <laughs> it's all about the button, really. For me, the button that was my favorite. I think it was my favorite part of the whole museum was just that <laughs> button because when it went ping, I actually start. It started me like I was, uh, and I I ran away because <laughs> I thought I'd broken it. But no, that's just how old shit works. It just feels like it's going to break as it's working. I know, I know, and it, it didn't say press to light or anything. It was just a big white button that said press. Mm. So buttons. I've been thinking about buttons. Talk, talk to me about buttons. I'm talking about buttons. Buttons are dying, dying out, and uh, it, it worries me. You see it in cars now. Cars have less and less buttons. There's well, they all have one button, which is simply just to turn on the car. No, well, even the most modern ones don't even have that anymore. You'll find in things like the Lucid Air, the the amazing new ultra luxury electric car that has no starter button at all you have to have your phone with you and if you sit in the car it starts it knows when to it's not a good idea what if you don't have your phone on you y right yes exactly it's, it's none of this is it's not a, but if it's, someone steals your phone they have your car <laughs> or it maybe has facial recognition or some something like that but the point is there's no starter <laughs> button to this car and you find it in cars phones don't have buttons anymore um, it's all these, you know, capacitive uh, things. So I've been thinking about a device that I would like to develop and and make for uh, bathroom use. All right. It is it is a small uh, MP3 player. Okay. That is inspired by uh, the Japanese toilet, grand Japanese toilet tradition of not having people next to you hear your business. So, so they like play music. When they like sings to you, yeah, the Japanese toilets. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, it makes music. And so um, the, it's going to be, I'm going to call it the Mpu 3 player. And the Mpu 3 player, you go, <laughs> when you go to the bathroom and you know you're going to have a loud, there's a loud, there's a loud one coming. <laughs> uh, there's one button. Or, or a series of bu limited buttons because you don't want to be fiddling around with well, it like I a mean, playlist if you or something. Are, let's say you have to go quickly. Yes, right. you, and you generally do. You don't right. want to preempt. There's, there's, a, there's a set, there's, there's a, a series of a playlist or a series of playlists preloaded. You press it and it plays a track off that playlist. The, the preamble for using the toilet is normally dropping your pants rather than choosing a, yeah. a song to fit yeah. the mood. So you just got to press one button and it plays a thing. But now the question is, am I going to... Do, how many buttons do I want? Because you have different poo moods. You know, sometimes you want something calming. You know, you want an Enya. Most of the time, I would say that's the case. Very rarely do I go in the toilet and, you know, decide I want to hear my favorite death metal album. However, that should be an option. Sure. Motivational button. So 
there could be a gentle button and there could be a motivational button. And that could be, and you can load on your own playlist for what that means. Maybe for some people, motivational button is, you know, the 1812 overture, like a grand piece ah. or some Wagner or something like that, as opposed to something, you know, very gentle. Maybe something a little less racist, perhaps. Or, or, <laughs> or you know, if it's something that you know it's going to be ex like really loud, then some gentle background music isn't the point. You want to cover up your misdeeds in an audio fashion. <laughs> I think I'm onto a million dollar I, idea. I really here. like this. I would buy one. I the MP3 player. The MP3. Yes. Right. And, and, and this is the thing. I've, I can make one of these things mm. because I have just completed a project that contains a, an, like a, a, a built-in MP3 player. Uh, that plays tracks on cue. That's right. You mm. just built a giant letter that, uh, let me not take it away from you, but um, mm. it was a giant letter um, that lit up and played music upon pushing a button. Mm. Uh, yes, more or less. But you can you can take it away from there if you want to explain yeah, so, more. So in, you know, I, I, I'm throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks with this maker's journey of mine and uh my first and, and and i i really want to try and and work it into a viable side hustle mm. you know a business i want to make things that people want to buy uh, not just you know futz around and, and and make stuff for fun yeah so it's things that are useful rather than like uh, oh, it doesn't have to be useful. Someone wants, needs to be willing to pay for it. Well, let's let's just say that if someone is willing to pay for it, like it has a utilitarian value to some degree, whether yes. it's uh, perceived value or actual intrinsic uh, usefulness to someone's life. Yeah, yeah. So, and this has been my this is my first commission, and the brief was building a big piece of signage for an office foyer with, you know, programmable, uh, addressable LEDs inside that can run different color cycles and patterns and then combined with uh, an MP3 player so that when a, a sale is made, this is all run by microcontrollers, like little ESP32s, which has been a, a great journey for me is learning the possibilities you can have with tiny computers, the internet of things. And so this is an internet of things device that when they make a sale in this office, through Wi-Fi into their internal sales system, it triggers the light to run a specific cycle and also trigger an MP3. Mm. So it has a holding pattern throughout the day or different holding patterns. And then when when, when a sale goes when through, a sale goes through it, it lights up like the 4th of July and plays some incredibly cheesy nonsense as an audio cue. And so as a project, I had to learn an enormous amount of stuff, designing the frame out of the logo and mm -hmm. uh, learning how to power and drive uh, uh, high-density LED strips. You had some very high-density LED strips. There quite, yes. quite a lot of power. Yeah, lots of power, lots of data. Again, all through YouTube, you yeah. know. And programming the Arduino. Programming the Arduino. Although, to be fair, that, that, was the, that was the easiest part because there already exists software packages that you can load sure. onto these microcontrollers that do most of what you need. For me, it was the physicality of the build. Incredible amounts of soldering, mm -hmm. um, wiring, uh, learning how to build a circuit board and power everything. The idea was that it would be um, a, sh a showpiece, you know, and and something that I could push myself. Yeah, proof of concept, even just to, even just for yourself, right? In order to like realize what could be done. Yes, yes, and it turned out beautifully, and uh, the client is very happy with it. And now the question is, where where do I take it from here? I'm not entirely sure. This this particular project was such an enormous challenge that making making a you know building these things on the regular is is beyond my sure it's a it's a large expenditure of time it's right? a huge and amount of time and, yeah um i mean not to to knock your beautiful cnc but it's it's not necessarily capable of running that project uh, no i had to take it to someone else but it took me building my little baby cnc to realize the limitations of it and I had to take it to someone else because sure. I physically couldn't fit the stock into the well, into the bed. Think of that as like, okay, there are certain points where uh, the process is going to fail, hmm. right? And you had to now, you know, rejig your at least uh, 
the construction aspects and and probably you know quite a, few, a number of other points where you had to rethink the entire project mm-hmm. right yeah but also you know you get to some points where you're in so deep now <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no, you you can't. You're in now, baby, and they've already paid you the deposit. So. Yeah. What is what is the point where you've in too far that you can't, uh, you know, either redesign or walk away? Yeah, like that's where, a, that's a tough one because there's always like there's always repair points. You're always like trying to put out fires. Is it yeah. like, is there a point in that process where it's like actually there are too many problems like all throughout it where they couldn't actually be replicated right yeah 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 and at a certain point you know once the the enclosure's made and most of the wiring has been done there's no turning back you have to have faith in your own design and 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 just grit to just push through and and make the thing work like it like it needs to especially when it comes to when it comes to the sort of electronics based project so that's now that's i guess my my, my first thing and i'm very proud of it and uh, yeah, thank you. And now, now onwards and upwards. Now I know how to light things, and I can build a, a musical uh, toilet device. <laughs> Do you think of yourself now as a designer? Like, has it changed your own mental framework about how you view your abilities? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because I've started having conversations about it, and I've gone through this journey, and I've started trying to up my skill with Fusion three hundred and sixty with parametric mm-hmm. design, Fusion is an amazing piece of software that is, if you're starting from the ground up, it's simple to use. There's an enormous amount of information Mm -hmm. available to teach you how to make pretty much anything. And it's very nicely integrated, not just on the design side, but also on the manufacturing side. If If I design a model, I can take it to the to the manufacturing side of the program and then go through the the CAM process. Mm-hmm. In other words, the process of, of of how to machine that model out of a piece of stock, all in the same piece of software. And so, and it's free. Yeah. Rather than having like, I mean, <clears throat> I remember uh, I used to make drums for a living as well, and there was a period where we were making our own uh, metal components, and we mm-hmm. had to. We had to design it, so you had to draw it, and then you had to take it to someone who could draw CAD, right? Mm. And they would be the the person um, that would draw the CAD drawing for it, and then they would take it to another machinist, right? And now mm. that process is is condensed. Now you can simply do it, and mm-hmm. I, you know, it's amazing that's now available to. Let us not use the term layman, but the layman, no. like no. like any of us that want to do that, can now approach that uh, approach that process. Yeah, it's fabulous. It's it, it's been such an eye opening thing just to see you know, what you can make as just as a person and and you don't even need uh, a great amount of you know a set of tools or machines or stuff like that you, there's people who will make you that stuff but the design the fundamentals the foundation of it is anyone can do it you don't need a crazy powerful computer you can mm-hmm. just start drawing stuff up and if you've got some some uh, measure things to measure stuff with and you can start building things around other stuff um, I've, I've started doing that quite a bit as mm. well now um, for instance for instance um, I had a I had a client come to me they run the art department for four film sets hmm. and they ha- have unique requirements requirements <laughs> where for instance they brought a a, a, po- a Polaroid camera to me and uh, like a, a modern yep, sure. uh, Polaroid camera. I mean, modern being uh, still dated. Yeah, but I mean, it's one you can go into a shop today and buy. And what they needed was something that would cover the logo. You know, this is something you'll find in, sure. in, in you know, in, in film production. Yeah. You, if you're, if no you're logos, fun, right? Otherwise you have to like no logos. pay for or... I mean, in other cases, you get paid for advertising, but for the most part, mm-hmm. you know, you have to cover up and yeah. not make it look like you're covering it up. They they asked whether I would be able to design some kind of 3D printed covering, something that looks as though it it would be a part of the original device from the factory, but that would cover up the logo. And so grab my calipers and then you start measuring up the model and you mm-hmm. draw up a model of the camera itself of the device itself, and then you start building something on top of that. And that's wonderful. Like, I love to be able to do that. And the result was great. It, it was a little snap-fit thing that really did look as though it Was it in two pieces and snapped together over no, it? No, no. I used the notches and the divots on the camera itself to dis- ah. build a snap-fit uh, clip 
on it. Very cool. Yeah. Which yeah. obviously like building the model previous to like trying to design it was pretty essential in that. Yes, absolutely. And so that's where things like having a good pair of calipers where you can measure things, mm -hmm. you know, having accurate, very accurate measurement tools for devices has been very, very helpful. I've just completed another one, which was a, a bracket for a drawing tablet. I have a lot of friends who work uh, as digital artists mm -hmm. and a lot of them use big Wacom drawing yep. tablets. And this particular client wanted a visa mounted television arm, a movable arm yep. bracket for his big tablet alongside uh, w with a palm rest. Now that doesn't exist, but he brought the, he brought the tablet to me and I measured it up as well as I could. There's some interesting angles and things. It's a little thicker on one side. It's thicker, thicker on one on side, th thinner on one side. You need to keep like port access mm -hmm. in, in mind. And um, I, I designed a, a, a sort of two, two CNC pieces that were connected with a 3D printed arm that you could print on different angles. And yeah, seems to seems to work seems to work quite nicely. However, however, and this brings us back to you know the 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 viability of all this is that mm -hmm. <clears throat> working on effectively prototypes like this takes so much time, design oh, yeah. time that realistically you can't ask people to pay for to the pay amount. for for the for all of that because it just isn't it would it would cost it's not viable know, right? it's not it's, viable. it's prohibitive it's yeah for sure um that's that's the problem with transferring from and having worked in a boutique uh fabrication shop for the last let's say five or six years um you know, when everything is a one-off, like it's very hard to get into uh, any sort of production right? mm -hmm. and making money is really based on a high turnover, mm. right? Or really landing like, um, like, like a blue chip sort of like, uh, jobs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like finding clients who are willing to pay mm -hmm. for such a thing. Right. And sure. it's difficult to find. Yeah. You know, and I like uh, where I'm at right now, not, because it's financially viable, but because every single project now is a new thing. But where do you take it from there? Either you try and do it in numbers or you go for the for the real high rollers and then you have to start making things out of pretty serious materials. Oh, yeah. Because at the moment, I'm messing around with thermoplastic and, and plywood. I that's mean, not, that's many not things the, are still made out of Baltic ply. Baltic ply course. is still an accepted uh, medium of... Mm -hmm. of craft or creation mm -hmm. so that's not to say that plywood is by any stretch like uh, lower quality mm -mm. but it is still plywood and i think for people who are who are willing to pay big dollar you want something made out of walnut you know <laughs> or cherry or, che or cherry or something like that you know where it's it it just is a Kel luxury robust. a luxury <laughs> material mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um, brass Make it I love brass. the trend of brass. I am such a fan, but mm -hmm. it's uh, it is definitely one of the metals du jour. Mm. Brass is lovely. I mean, something I would love to try and do at some stage in the future is casting three D printed materials. You, there's there's a hmm. there's a huge potential in three D printing out of thermoplastic a, a, a complicated shape, and then burning that out in and casting it in. So you just take a you make a mold of it. Yes, so I've looked into different techniques. The most appealing one I've seen so far, I mean, you can do it in sand. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily make a mold. So the, the, you, you do what they call a lost casting. So you get a, you get a bucket of very fine sand yep. and you put your model in there. You pack it very tight mm -hmm. and then you also design in your, I think they're called sprues. Sprue sounds correct. Yeah, yeah, sprue your input tube and mm -hmm. your yep. exit tube. And then with a high enough temperature metal, it'll burn right through that stuff. And then you end up with, with, the, you end up with something yeah, that's cast yeah. with a form. Another possibility is casting it in, in, in like ceramic. Sure, yeah. Uh, you, get a, you get this fantastic like ceramic soup where you dunk your model in this goop mm -hmm. and you bake it and then you do another one and then you bake it again and then you've got the form that you can cast um, uh. cast your metal into. I mean, I've made, um, speaking of buttons, I had to make buttons in the shape of jewels. Um, so I- As clothing buttons. No, no, like uh, for an escape room, uh, which is- oh. uh, 
I don't know if there's another term for escape room. No, here. Okay, so we've got yeah, escape yeah. rooms. Okay, just yeah. checking. Like, you know, the room with a lot of puzzles in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not a big thing here. It looks very exciting. I've never done one myself. It, I have built two to date, okay. and they are horribly mechanically intensive because there's a lot of dependencies, um, a lot, a lot of lighting uh, because mm -hmm. everything, again, um, it works on chains, right? So like mm -hmm. when when something happens or like even in programming, like, and I'm slowly learning programming myself at this point, but it's on a level of uh, else if loops, right? So mm -hmm. if something is happening, then, some, then something continues to happen until, you know, such condition is proved false. So, okay, so what is, is, is this mechanism now? What, this is what now are we mechanism. Talking? So for the buttons, like you had to like smack the buttons in a proper order. And when that uh, happened, the floor would then light up in a certain pattern. Then you had to like stomp on floor tiles, right? To create another pattern. And it's all, there's a whole narrative that goes along with it. It's an ice cave, right? So, but okay, so but we've got but buttons and what microcontrollers as well? Microcontrollers. What, what? I mean, it's a lot of different um things doors servos open. yeah lots mm. of servos um i mean i can't even remember i didn't i wasn't the main designer on it happily because it would not have been nearly as good um by any stretch i'm i was simply the the carpenter and fabricator and uh, okay. as best as possible but we had to we had to create these these buttons these jeweled buttons and it was very fun okay. to like you know we had to put them in the what do you, it's like the like casting epoxy. Like, okay. And then you would press them and you had to make like 30 or 40, but all in different designs. So you'd 3D print one and then you'd be like, okay, like that's the right design. And you'd, or uh, if I couldn't get the right design done on the 3D printer, I would have to actually like craft it out of MDF. Okay. And so you'd have to like sit there carving out this stupid little like jewel out of MDF and then you'd press it down and then you'd have to like okay. make like 30 or 40 of these things because you know, there was only several that you'd actually be able to touch and like hit that would create the pattern. The rest are sort of decoys, right? Okay. And a jeweled wall. Epoxy. Epoxy is something that's also quite interesting to mm -hmm. me. There's a huge trend now with epoxy inlay furniture and things it like is, that. Uh, it's all over social media, Instagram especially. And I love it. But um, I mean, it can be a little bit naff. I feel the epoxy, um, the epoxy, that's a word. It is, it's not my word. It's, it is an word. <laughs> the sort of river, live edge, river table thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's still impressive, but I've seen it one too many times. It's not something I would ever build mm -hmm. um, because I don't find it that fascinating. And um, generally it's used with things that are, it's just like a live edge slab of wood yeah. that is then encased or surrounded by epoxy. And yeah. I find that a little, what's the word? It's not off-putting, but it's like, Derivative? Yeah, not even so. Um, it it it's it doesn't quite hit the spirit of carpentry to me, mm. right? You're not actually like doing anything to the wood itself. Right? right. You're not carving the wood. I see. Right. You're making a table, sure, but you're not really like you're just taking a plank of wood and throwing stuff around it, mm. right? And I find that doesn't really like it doesn't tickle my nutsack. Mm. 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 Now, for me, it's you know. Ultimately, where I would like to go is um, I, have a, I have a set of ideas for ergonomic desk furniture, hmm. things that make your workspace good, more functional, and also aesthetically pleasing. And modular work furniture or not necessarily no i'd like to do something like a like a like a monitor stand again going back to the the sort of digital artist space you know i've got i know i have a lot of people in my sphere who work with dual monitors you know big yep. big two big heavy monitors and they typically need to be raised a little bit for them to be ergonomically sure you want them at eye level right you want them at eye level and the selection at least that we have in south africa is fairly limited in that sense to, you know, pretty work a day formed uh, kind of like a die cast aluminium stuff. Right. But nothing. Nothing that, that has like an artisanal sort of uh, bent to no, it. Right? No. And so I'd love to, I'd love to start building out a range of things like a monitor stand or like a, a nice wireless charger. Mm -hmm. uh, wireless charging is something I'm, I'm looking into a lot now. You're Inter talking those like uh, the pads where you put your phone down yes, and it charges. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. But integrating those into the stand. Into basically a whole setup, right? Yes, yes. So it all feels of a piece. 
and it's also very functional. And the nice thing about wireless charging is now at least it's it's without standard. You know, you can have pretty much any modern phone and put it on a wireless charger and it works. Yeah, right. I remember at a time where it would only be like it was a... Uh commercially branded like apple charges only work for apples and like you know samsung's only yes, for yes. samsung's and now i think that's not the case right Any that's phone- not the case that's mm. not the case and it's and it's also it's a little bit more environmentally friendly there's a whole discussion we can have about that angle and making things that are kind to the environment in their in their manufacture but having one wireless charger that can work for any type of phone is a huge boon i think for 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 that sort of thing Do and they so take more energy no, they charge slowly mm. or slower than 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 you would if you were to plug it in. Sure, but the I guess the upside is that you're not limited to the length of your phone cable, right? Yes, yes. So, you know, you if you if you if you place it in the right spot, you're always going to put your phone there and it's going to charge and you're not, and you're not futzing around with cables anymore. Normally, yeah, it's not the the when you're charging your phone, it's down, it's somewhere like off yeah. to one side, whereas yeah. like if it's on your monitor and you can still see it. Yeah. But you also have to in terms of charge times I think that the highest output wireless chargers at the moment are running at about 15 watts, ideal output, um, which I think is about half of what, I mean, phones have huge batteries now. And they, I know they, they do. And still, yeah, my phone dies like by the end of the day. I know, I know. And so having your, putting your phone down and having it charge constantly, I have that problem in my bedroom. I have terrible cell phone signal in my room and I have to keep my phone on charge through the night, otherwise, I have nothing the next morning. And so I've I've moved over to wireless chargers for, for that purpose. But you also have to consider things like like distance, mm-hmm. integrating it in an invisible way. You're adding if you you know, because I would like to not actually see the charger. Of course, you just, have you just a, want to know that it's there. Know or, that it's there. Have some kind of marking. Mm-hmm. You know, that you know where to put your phone. Know down, where but, to put it. But the further the distance from the charger, if you add that onto like a case sure. that's on your phone the efficiency starts dropping quite quickly. So that's a problem I'm, I'm, I'm looking to figure out uh, in all this stuff. But I want to get back to epoxy because I feel like epoxy is a great potential way of adding detail, carved detail to mm-hmm. a piece of wood. I'd love to do something with, a, with, with different patterns, mm-hmm. engraved patterns that's then inlaid uh, with epoxy and, and, you know. It's a great way to hide LEDs. I know I've uh, inset LEDs into... Um pieces of furniture um and that would scare me i mean you can't because if something goes wrong because those leds can die and they they, can die um and then you'll and then you'll you you're sol basically so it's um it it is risky um you try and keep your ends out obviously that way you can access your your joints but the actual leds themselves on the face of it are all covered in epoxy right yeah and what the epoxy does is it gives it like a nice diffusion color if you're using something uh, like a green or a blue or something like that, which yeah. is very, very nice. Yeah. But even so, even strip LEDs, and this is something I, I found with building this project now, even the ones that come out of the factory can sometimes have a do- dodgy solder joint. Of course. Yeah, for and sure. Then, and you need to be sure that that... Well, testing is... Uh, testing is important, but, you know, those things can... I'd be a little bit worried about epoxy, but of course it's a, it's a possibility. But you're now building a light as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your light. So, I mean, I'd originally, it's a hanging light over a harvest table. Yes. And um, I've redesigned it now from that design I showed you first. And the first design I had was a big oblong uh, rectangle. Pull shape. Yeah, exactly. With two levels. um, The first, uh, the top level hanging is, is very large. There's a lower level on the bottom, a smaller oblong sort of pill, and then brass on the uh, the surface facing downwards. The LEDs face up from the bottom up to the top, and they reflect down. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with that, I've found, is that, or at least the design issue I'm, I'm having, is that it will provide great ambient light, but it's not going to provide a lot of great directional light. Mm. Um, so it's going to be great for like a wall sconce. It would be great for like, you know, in a room where you just want to kind of light up and you don't want to see the lights, but for something Mm -hmm. like a harvest table, you really need to see. Yeah. I've started to go for something a little more streamlined, a little more sleek looking. Okay. I mean, maybe a little more boxy, but perhaps, but with some aesthetic qualities to it. Cause I like, cause the idea was to, from the original design to, to have those two levels and have the lights illuminate upwards into a piece of brass. Yes, exactly. Then that then shoots downwards. Yeah, the, the brass is actually what reflects the light downwards, yeah, right? Yeah, but 
what you can do is keep that because I like that. You know, that's that's a very nice feature. But just the bottom platform integrate a piece of acrylic. Sure. Yeah. yeah, something clear or something like that where you could actually have the light shine through. Well, not down. even clear. I mean, with this project I just finished with the with the big with the big light, they make acrylic specifically for um, diffused acrylic specifically for that purpose. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Shout out to Maisie Plastics in Pardon Island and their three millimeter opal. Oh, la la. <laughs> yes, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. And it's not crazy expensive either. No, I love the design. I was worried that like hanging above a table though, it's not going to provide enough like directional mm. light because you want to see food as you're eating and you know, people want to see each other. You just got to have enough of those LEDs, man. Uh, you got to go to the high density stuff. It looks like a friggin' <laughs> tank tread. It's wild. That's... No, I mean, it's, it's, you could do that. You could just increase yeah. the amount of LEDs for sure. Yeah. More. No, but, but the amount of light then you're shooting, uh, is that worth it? I don't know. At the design stage, it's hard to, it's hard to know. How, I haven't prototyped it yet. So like the only way I would really mm. know is actually building a, a small model and then seeing yeah. how much light it actually throws and what yeah. the shadow would be if you're actually underneath it, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got some, I've got some leftovers here. Uh, we can do some experiments. I still have some of that, uh, some mm. of that acrylic. And Let's give can, it a shot. Yeah. I'd I've, love to. And, and, and we, can, we, can run, we can run a couple of, uh, of experiments if you, if you so care. I would love to. Um, yeah, I mean, the only problem is my stuff's all addressable. And this is the thing, you know, addressable LEDs are great if you have microcontrollers and big power supplies and you want to do all kinds of crazy rainbow effects, but that's not what you're after. You want to do... This is a simple house light. It's a simple house light. Although, I mean, it could be a disco ball, but could the, be a disco the idea ball. would be it's very elegant looking, like it's, mm. you know, darker wood and then with a brass sort of, you know, mm. Uh, plate on the top that you see and the light shines off of that. It's very art yeah. deco-y looking. Yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. I like it. I think it's going to be good. Yari, I think I think we should I think we should start wrapping this thing up. I think this is our first podcast. I think this episode. is our first podcast. We can we can decide that we have done a very good job. Yes. Uh, apologies for all. We've been we're sitting in my bar. And we've been drinking, <laughs> and there's uh, and there's uh, noises in the background. But this has been really fun. I've really enjoyed it. I uh, think we are at just about an hour, and yeah, that's about as about long as hour. it should that's be. Us. Thanks for listening. Whoever is listening on the other side in the great big ether, we'll be back soon with some more tales of making stuff and all kinds of other nonsense. I'd like to thank our sponsor. Hope Agave. Hope Agave. Oh, that's an actual, yeah. Yari's just been knocking back <laughs> tequila for this whole thing. Hope Agave, is that a, is that a local brand? It is a local brand, uh, brewed in Salt River itself. Oh, yes, and the I, finest. I, personally, of all of the districts in Cape Town, Salt River is one of my favorites. Uh, Salt River, lovely if you want to go have something CNC'd. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Cheers. Thanks.